Well, as, as we look around us on this, I guess this is the 4th of July weekend, it's the weekend before the 4th of July, life isn't exactly peaceful, is it? If you turn on the news, you see conflicts everywhere. And more and more people are saying, I don't want to turn on the news, it stresses me out. I mean, too much news, uh, they say, can lead to depression, which is somewhat understandable. We see conflict between people. We see violence. It seems like we see a shooting every week somewhere, conflicts between groups of people, politicians, conflict between religions, conflict between countries. Conflicts can be between good and evil or, or evil and evil. Our country was born on July 4, 1776 in the midst of a conflict. Uh, we were fighting for our God-ordained freedoms. But this year, we're celebrating the 243rd birthday of our nation on July 4th. And yet, the conflicts within our nation seem to be continuing and even deepening. I'd like us to watch a short video called Heal Our Land, A Prayer for America as we think about the 4th this week. Let's just bow our heads, and I'm going to pray a short prayer in keeping with that, the prayer in that video. Lord, just join with me in your own heart and mind. Lord, we, we also pray. We pray this morning, this 4th of July weekend, that you would heal our land. And we know, God, that true healing can only happen, can only come as people's hearts are healed through Jesus' forgiveness. And so we pray, God, that America would turn back to you, that they that we as a nation would repent of our sins and seek your forgiveness, God. We pray that you'd use each one of us who is a believer here this morning, that you'd use each one of us, God, to bring healing to those around us. We pray, God, that you would help us to be peacemakers when we encounter conflict. Help us to bring your peace into every situation. Help us to bring your peace into every life. Because we know that those who don't know you don't have your peace. And we thank you for the peace that you've given to us. And we pray that you would help us to share it and so bring healing to this land. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so conflict began in our world way back in Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden. Satan came into that paradise. He sought to destroy Adam and Eve by tempting them to sin and disobey God and so separate them from the, their relationship with God. And he succeeded. They sinned. They fell into sin. And that sin has impacted every human being since then. And Satan continues to tempt and inspire sin and inspire conflict in our world today. Jesus said in John 10.10, I encourage you to take out the white page in the middle of your bulletin. It has the outline there as well as the verses written out. You can follow along. John 10.10, 10, Jesus says, The thief, speaking of Satan, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. And so how does Satan do this? How does he steal, kill, and destroy? Well, certainly one of the major ways is by tempting people into conflict. He uses anger. He uses greed. He uses lust as his bait. He seeks to destroy every human being. And yet he targets not just unbelievers. He targets believers. He targets the church. 
Those are his arch enemy. And the end result is this cosmic struggle between Satan's domain of darkness and God's kingdom of light. Ephesians 6.12 says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so our conflict as believers and as a church is not against people, but it's against the spiritual forces that, are, that tempt and delude people into conflict. And so we need to be aware of what he is doing. We need to be alert to his temptations. Now, in our current message series, which is called Abraham Hearing God's Call, we are studying his life of faith. And we've already seen, but when someone is living a life of faith, when someone is following God, the enemy will bring conflict, will bring opposition to oppose God's advance. And today, the message is entitled, Going into battle. And uh, this is actually the only story in the Old Testament where Abraham, or Abram, as we'll see, is actually engaged in physical conflict. Now, why do we study the stories of the Old Testament? We don't do it simply for entertainment, although they're often very interesting stories. We do it for a deeper reason. 1 Corinthians 10, 11 says, and in this passage, he's speaking of stories in the Old Testament. It says, now these things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction. On whom the end of the ages has come. And so the things that are written in the Old Testament stories, most of the stories, they're stories in the New Testament. Most of the stories are in the Old Testament are, are written to teach us. They're written to instruct us. And so it's not just about knowing what happened in the story. It's about knowing how that story applies to our life today. What can we learn from those examples? What can we learn from what God is doing? And we can learn in these stories that, that following God leads to blessing. And we see many ways that that plays out. We're going to see that today. And we can see on the other side that... Disobeying God or making wrong choices leads to trouble. It leads to the opposite of blessing is curses coming into people's lives. Last week, we learned that Abram's nephew Lot made a, a poor choice of where to live. He chose to live right next to the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And today we're going to learn some of the consequences of Lot's bad decision. We're going to learn some of the blessings that came as Abram made some wise choices. So the first principle we're going to learn from today in Genesis, we're moving on to Genesis chapter 14, is to stay away from evil. And we're going to pick up the story in verse 8. It says, Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zoibim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, went out and they joined battle in the valley of Siddim with Kedarlamar, king of Elam, title king of Goim, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Arioch, king of Alisar, four kings against five. And so our story begins with a confederation of four kings coming against confederation of five kings. And the five kings included the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah. And we already learned that these were very evil, very wicked cities. Now, none of these kings were godly. They were all pagan kings. They were 
fighting one another for ungodly reasons. We don't know exactly what. To dominate the other one, to steal their possessions, to steal their servants. Ungodly reasons, really evil against evil. So let's see how this first battle turned out, which sets the stage for what happens with Abram and Lot. We're going to see, in this case, evil was defeated. It says, now the valley of Siddim was full of bitumen pits, and as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some fell into them, and the rest fled to the hill country. So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. And so the end result of this battle between the four kings and the five kings was that the four kings were victorious. Uh, kind of perhaps an upset victory. Four against five, and the four kings were victorious over this five-king confederation. The five-king confederation included, as we said before, the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah. In fact, they're mentioned first in this long list of names that I tried to pronounce. And so, and I didn't even get a hand clap after that <laughs> extreme effort. Uh, but the most wicked cities then were defeated. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah were defeated along with the other kings that were going with them and their possessions were plundered. And we're going to learn that if you don't stay away from evil, you're going to end up being captured. And so they also, verse 12, they also, which speaks of the four kings, that confederation also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions and went their way. Now, as we talked about where Lot went to live last Sunday, it said he went to live near Sodom. And now where is he living? In Sodom. So he kept moving closer and closer. And who got captured in the defeat of Sodom? Well, it was Lot. And as we'll see, not only was Lot captured, but his family was captured, his possessions were taken, and his uh, servants were taken as well. He lived close to evil, close to sin, and he ended up being swept up in it, in the judgment against it. Now, why did Lot choose to live near Sodom? Well, we talked about that last Sunday because the land looked fertile. The land looked uh, very rich, and that meant that Lot could increase his riches there. I mean, if it was uh, his herds could multiply, he could have more herds. And so it looked like a, a very uh, financially lucrative area in which to live. And Satan will tempt us to live near to evil. We'll be tempted to see what advantage we can get living close to sin as long as we don't actually sin. How he will tempt us to see, can you get this close and not sin? It's not going to hurt you. Our culture is becoming increasingly wicked in, in every way. Perversion is presented as being normal and purity as being abnormal. And what used to be X-rated is R-rated. What used to be R-rated is PG and so on. Uh, it's just a slippery slope down. And on the Internet today, which dating myself did not exist when I was a young person, uh, any kind of sin, any kind of sex, any kind of violence, is just a, a click away on the internet. And what we see, what we listen to, what we read does influence us. And those things influence, influence us in not a good way. The church and the Bible are regarded by many as 
being outdated. It's ridiculed. And many churches are, are falling away from teaching God's word. Many churches are promoting sins of all kinds in the name of love. We have to love everyone. We have to accept any kind of sin and perversion uh, in the name of love. And so we need to be on our guard. And so what is the solution? What are we going to learn from this story? It's to stay as far away from sin and evil as you can. Don't follow the crowd. The crowd is going the wrong direction. Study God's word every day to know what's right and wrong and keep yourself pure from the sins of the world. Don't see how close you can get. Stay as far away from sin as possible. Even if that costs you friends. Even if that may cost you finances or cost you something else. Following Christ does cost. We need to believe that God is going to give the victory. So our story continues in verse 13. The fill in the blank was victory, not that whole line there. But uh, verse 13, then the one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew who was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshcol and of Anar. These were allies of Abram. And so somebody probably from Sodom escaped from the four kings and told Abram what had happened. Uh, God had allowed this person to escape, or else Abram probably wouldn't have known what had happened. I mean, there was no uh, communication in those days except person to person, basically. And so not only had Sodom been plundered, but Abram, uh, Abram's nephew Lot had been captured. Now, what could Abram do about that? These four kings of these territories had large armies. The four kings had just defeated five kings. Abram, on the other hand, was a herder of flocks. The only battles his man had were with wild beasts and perhaps a robber or two. And yet Abram had made a few friends among the people of the land. They were his allies. And Abram chose to attempt to rescue the captives. When Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And so Abram knew that Lot had made a poor choice of living close, near, and eventually in this wicked city of Sodom. And yet when he heard the news, he didn't say, oh, serves him right. He said, I'm going to go and attempt to rescue him. Now, undoubtedly, the armies of these four kings most likely numbered in the thousands, and Abram had only 318 men. And yet, he decided to try to rescue Lot and his family and his possessions. Abram really was a man of faith. I think it's demonstrated here in this action he chose to do. He really believed that nothing was impossible with God. How was he going to do it? Well, verse 15, he divided his forces against them by night. He and his servants had defeated them and pursued them to Hobah north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsman Lot with his possessions and the women and the people. So we don't have a lot of details, but it seems that God gave Abram a plan. Uh, his plan was to attack by night by multiple, uh, in multiple directions from multiple sides. Now, if my memory serves me right, God gave that plan to somebody else in the Old Testament. Anybody know who that was later on? It was Gideon. He attacked by night. 
from multiple directions, a much smaller band. In fact, a, a band of about 300 people again against thousands. And it worked then much later uh, in history. But this was the first time. And so I believe Abram followed God's plan uh, to attack and he defeated the four kings. He pursued them and was able to recover all the possessions that they'd taken from Lot as well as Lot's family and his servants. A very improbable victory, a victory you would said this could end up in total disaster for Abram. He could have ended up captured with everything he had as well. But the power of God was released through faith. And so what can we learn from Abram's example? Now, Lot's example is not so good. So we, as we go through the Old Testament, we will see examples of what not to do, and we will see examples of what to do, and we'll see examples of how God works in, in these situations. So what can we learn from Abram's example? First of all, Abram didn't give up on Lot when his bad choice is landing him in trouble. And our temptation oftentimes is to say, why should I help this person They've made an unwise choice and ended up in this trouble. Uh, why should I help them? Well, Abram didn't think that way. He said, this is my kinsman. This is my uh, relative. This is somebody I care about. I'm going to help him even though he got himself into this trouble. And secondly, Abram chose to put his own life, his own servants in jeopardy in order to rescue Lot and his family. Now, how does that apply to us? Well, as believers, all around us are unbelievers who are, according to the Bible, in captivity to Satan. If, you're, if somebody's an unbeliever, they're in the domain of darkness. They are captives. All around us really are, are believers as well who are in captivity to various sins and addictions. They need to be set free as well. And it might look like it's impossible to save them. It might look like it's impossible to rescue them. But we must remember that with God, all things are possible. And God has called us as believers who are following him to take the risk to reach out to those who are struggling in life and do what we can do to lead them to Jesus' freedom. Because Jesus came to set the captive free. And as part of Jesus' followers, Jesus calls us to set people free, and he's waiting for us to reach out to people who need his touch, to need his help, who sometimes don't even want our help, which is even more frustrating, is it not? But yet we must do what God calls us to do to reach out to them, and God will help us to set many free. And so this morning, think in your own life, who does God want you to help set free? Who is there that you know who's perhaps not a believer? Which means they're in bondage to the enemy. If they're in your circle of influence, God wants to use you to help set them free. Do you know somebody that's in bondage to a sin? Somebody who's in bondage to uh, some type of addiction that you know God wants you to help set them free. And so Abram went, took the risk, won the victory, rescued Lot and his family and possessions and brought them back, and he received God's blessing. God put his stamp of approval on that. In verse 18, it says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him, that's Abram, and said, Blessed be Abraham by 
God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And so after Abram's victory, he was met by Melchizedek, king of Salem. And the, the Bible identifies Salem as being Jerusalem in Psalm 76. And so the amazing thing is that Melchizedek was not part of Abram's family. He was not part of the Hebrews. But yet somehow God had revealed himself to Melchizedek and Melchizedek had become a worshiper and priest of the one true God. God is able to save, God is able to bring into faith people across this world who have a heart to follow him. Now you can read more about this mysterious Melchizedek in Hebrews chapter 7. If you're interested, we definitely don't have time to talk more about him today, but Melchizedek then blessed Abraham, or Abram, still Abram at this point. His name will change uh, in, a, in a while. Melchizedek blessed Abram with a blessing of God Most High, speaking of the one true creator God. And so Melchizedek was a representative of God. He was an Old Testament priest. Now in the New Testament, there are no longer priests. Every believer, in a sense, is a priest, is able to directly approach God. In the Old Testament, only priests could directly uh, approach God as, as God revealed himself through the law. It's changed in the New Testament. What was Abram's response to the blessing of Melchizedek? Well, he gave back to God. The end of verse 20 says, And Abram gave him, that is Melchizedek, a tenth of everything. And so this is the first mention of tithing in the Bible. A tithe is 10%. Of what God has given you, you give it back to God through God's representative. And so that tithe indicates that Abram had wanted to put God first in his life. And so he gave back to God. He recognized that God was the source of his victory. God was the source uh, of him recovering these possessions, of actually gaining more than he had. And so he gave 10% back. And by giving a tithe, Abram had faith that God would continue to supply his needs as he put God first in his life and in his finances. And finally, Abram had to learn the lesson he, or he understood that he mustn't seek riches. So very interesting in verse 21, and the, of all people, the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God most high, speaking of God exactly the same way that Melchizedek had, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. And so apparently the king of Sodom wanted Abram to take all the recovered possessions from Sodom for himself, but Abram refused to accept any of it. Now why? Why would he refuse to accept this offer freely given? Because Abram had made an oath to God that he would take nothing from this evil king. He understood this was a wicked city. This was an evil king. Abram didn't want the king of Sodom to be able to say that he, wicked evil king, was the one who'd made Abram rich. Abram wanted to say, it's only God most high that has blessed me. Abram desired that God's blessing on his life would be enough, would be sufficient. He didn't need the riches of wickedness. He didn't want to be enticed by riches gained through wickedness. 
And so he kept a clear conscience by refusing uh, this offer by the king of Sodom. And so as we follow God, as we seek to rescue others, God is going to bless us. Because, why? Because we're doing what God calls us to do. God's going to bless us in many different ways. I mean, the blessing of God, uh, it, it can be financially, it can be in many different ways. God blesses us in our families. God blesses us uh, in protection and safety. God blesses us by giving us peace. God blesses us by enabling us to help other people, by giving us fulfillment in life. God blesses in so many ways. We could go on and on. So the blessing of God is many different ways. But God has made it clear to Abram that the reason, when we talked in the past messages, the reason that God was going to bless Abram was so that he could be a blessing to other people. And that applies to us as well. God wants to bless you, not just so that you can heap it up for yourself, for your own personal enjoyment, but so that you can be a blessing to others, so that you can keep it going. And as you bless others, and they are grateful for the blessing of God. They, in turn, can bless others. And the, the blessing of God can spread exponentially. And so Abram here uh, demonstrates, shows us by example, the proper response as we are blessed by God. The proper response is to give back to God in our tithes and offerings. And then we use God's blessing to bless others as well. We must Never seek to profit from evil or ungodliness. But we must allow God to bless us as we follow him and as we stay away from all forms of evil. And so today we've learned from two examples, a negative example and a positive example, and we've learned how God deals with this. The first example was that of Lot. He lived so close to evil that all of a sudden he got swept up and captured as these armies came against uh, the king of Sodom when he was defeated. And God wants to strengthen us to be able to stay as far away from evil as possible in our own lives. Next, we learn from the positive example of Abram. He believed God for an impossible victory against these four kings to rescue Lot. And God wants to use us to help Rescue people from captivity to sin and Satan. And as we follow God's plan for our lives, God's going to bless us. And as he blesses us, we be sure to honor him by giving back to him uh, in our tithes, by giving back to him in our time, by giving back to him our, our very lives. Why? So that he can continue to bless us and keep the cycle going. And we can be confident that God will supply us with more than enough to meet our needs. Why? So we can continue to be a blessing to others as we follow him. Now, the first step in being a follower of God and being a follower of Jesus is to admit that we've sinned, that we've been seeking to live our lives according to what we thought was right what we thought was best for ourselves rather than God's plan for us. And the Bible calls that sin. Secondly, we need to believe that Jesus died on the cross, took our sins upon himself, paid the price that we don't have to pay the price, that we don't have to spend eternity in hell. He died that we did not have to experience eternal death. 
and he rose from the dead. He's alive today, and we commit ourselves to following him as our Lord and Savior. So I'd like to ask us all to bow our heads. If you never committed your life to Jesus Christ this morning, I'd encourage you to pray along with me. Or if you have in the past and you feel like you've drifted away, I'd encourage you to recommit your life to him this morning on this 4th of July weekend, 2018. So let's pray. Father, today I admit that I've done wrong things, that I've followed my own way of life rather than following your plan. I didn't even know what your plan was, and I've been doing my own thing. Please forgive me. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, took my sins upon himself because he never sinned and paid the penalty for my sin. Come into my life. I commit myself to following you as my Lord and Savior. I commit myself to following your plan for my life from this day forward. And for those of us who are believers, let's pray as well. Father, we thank you for your word that shows us examples of how to live our lives for you. We ask that you keep us from getting too close to sin in our lives. We ask that you help us to stay as far away from sin as possible. And for those who have gotten ensnared in sin, God, we ask that they would repent and find freedom so that they can live for you. Lord, give us the courage and strength to rescue those who are in bondage. Those who are not believers at all or believers who have got ensnared in sin. We believe, God, that nothing is impossible for you. We believe that all things are possible with you. And we ask, God, that you would use us to save those who are not believers and that you would use us to bring back believers who have strayed from you. We ask for your blessing upon our lives as, as we follow you, not for our own personal benefit, but so that we can be a blessing to others. May we put you first in our giving by giving you our tithe before we Pay any of our bills by giving our tithe to you first, trusting that you are going to meet our needs. And we believe that as we put you first in every aspect of our lives, you are going to be there for us, that you are going to meet our needs, that you are going to bless us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.